Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And today, Cody, we have some we have some business to get to. We have some business to get to. We've we've had a lot of people tell us that uh, Nikola Jokic he's overrated. We talk about him too much. I did this video on his on his passing, and there's sort of this sense of like he's good. He's good, but he shouldn't be talked about so much, and he's not really that good. And other players who are good on offense in the past have been significantly better. And so you, you get this sort of like reluctant acceptance of him being pretty good, and then quickly we need to move on because he's already been talked about enough because he's won two MVPs. On the flip side of the coin, there's a question that we have batted around on this show before that I think has been talked about on many of the other more hardcore podcasts that exist out there in the interwebs. And that is, can you win with his defense? You know, what? what's going on with Denver's defense? Denver keeps winning games, but their point differential isn't that good. They don't seem to be constructed as a team that can really be, uh, let's say, dominant in the playoffs, right? It's more like, when they got to the Western Conference Finals in the bubble, they were down 3-1 in each series and they won in seven games. And even when you watch them this year, you know, they, they, they've been at full health all of a sudden again. The Jamal Murray's getting the wheels back going. Michael Porter's trying to get back in shape. Bruce Brown is out there. KCP is out. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about these guys. But even then, it doesn't feel like, hey, if Denver clicks, they're going to be like a 70-win juggernaut. It's more like they're really competitive and their offense is really good. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I just don't expect them to win playoff series 4-0, 4-1, if it all comes together. So there's like, you know, two kind of extreme thoughts here. One is that Nikola Jokic might be the best offensive player we've ever seen. And the other one is that can you win in 2023 with Nikola Jokic's defense as your big man out there? Let's start with the defensive side of this, because I think that that's a really big question about whether or not he's the offensive GOAT. That's a question I really actually want to grapple with, because I think it's it, it's in the conversation, Ben. Like, every night you watch him, he's doing something that you're like, this is some of the best passes of, of the season, period, from anyone. And just he's just in like, one game. Yeah, he's thrown like yeah. three of them, and it's the second quarter sort of thing. But when you dive into the defense and you watch them play... There's a lot of things that really make me concerned. There's a lot of things that I'm like, when we actually get into a playoff situation and another team's able to like spend all of their time and energy trying to attack them, I don't know. Are, are you as concerned as me on that? What do you think about their defense right now? I was concerned at the start of the season. Uh, as I said, I've been thinking about this concept and this topic for a while because as I mentioned over the summer when we talked about the greatest careers in NBA history I always kind of felt this way about Dirk Nowitzki where if you have a seven foot big out there on the court that is pretty weak defensively doesn't provide vertical paint presence you know can kind of be attacked out in space of course 15 years ago they didn't attack out in space as much but you you have to build a roster that can protect against that in some way and so Dirk is interesting because they won the title in 2011 after being really competitive for like eight or nine straight years but at no point in those eight or nine straight years including the title team did they ever have the footprint of like a dominant team like a like even the season they won 67 games the they were the one seed and Dirk won MVP I mean they got smoked in the first round by by the Warriors who gave them trouble as a matchup in the regular season precisely because they could play this smaller stretchier kind of different style and Dallas defensively wasn't quite as equipped for that. They had defenders around him with Marquise Daniels, with Eric Dampier, um, and I am forgetting one, Josh Howard, I'm forgetting one more kind of wingy, kind of lanky defender type player. But in 2011, so much of that roster, let's get Jason Kidd, one of the great, if not the greatest point guard defender in NBA history, and he's big and long and smart and quick at 6'4", Sean Marion, a versatile forward next to him who's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and can play up and switch and be rangy. And then a guy who I think won Defensive Player of the Year the next year or two years after that, Tyson Chandler at center. And he was just great. Uh, I, I would have had him on my all-star team that season. So 
you have to construct the roster that way. And even when you do that, you're not necessarily getting these dominant teams, which isn't to say it's impossible to build, but it just the question is like, is that harder? That's been floating around in my head. And Jokic is the same thing, but now he plays in an era where you can't have Tyson Chandler next to him as easily because it's harder to have a second big unless that second big is Draymond Green or Evan Mobley or Jaron Jackson Jr. or someone who can both provide paint protection and guard other big man, but also be rangy and switchy and guard forwards and give you different coverages. Obviously, Denver's closest thing to that is what? Aaron Gordon right now? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so you know, the question for me sits there as an existential question for the Nuggets, but I like what I've seen in the last month or the last two weeks, and now they're starting to get healthy, and we can talk about this great game last night against Miami where they showed a bunch of different coverages and things like that, but... Nuggets, just just before we move off this, the Nuggets in the first month of the season, 116 offensive rating, the league average was 114. So they were plus two. They're kind of like in the bottom, you know, whatever that comes out to, like the bottom third. Um, sorry, it was actually worse than that. I'm looking at the wrong, the wrong set of stats. Their current defensive rating is 116 compared to 114. But in the last month, Cody... They're only about a point. They're getting much closer to league average, only about a point behind league average. And I think that's right where they need to be. They need to go from a team that was like bottom five defense to start the season to a team that's 14th to 18th or something like that. And then as we'll get into it in a second, can those concepts carry over in the postseason when you play the best teams that are going to attack you and pick you apart in a seven game series? So I'm still thinking about the 2011 Mavericks, right? Because this is an era where Dirk can be slotted down to play the four, right? So you can build around him by, like you said, you can't really get like a Tyson Chandler type next to Jokic. But you also, again, like you said, uh, Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, you throw these really strong defenders around him. But I almost think you can't just be like, you need to generally put great defensive players around Jokic. I think there's like a specific kind of defensive player that needs to be put next to Jokic. And like you said, Aaron Gordon, I think he's a great defensive player in terms of switching, right? He can switch all around. He's one of those guys that can, you know, guard one through five. I don't always love the guard one through five thing, but if there is someone that can do it, he's he's at least in like the short list of guys that do that well. KCP, a frantic little defender. Uh, in a short amount of minutes, Christian Brown, just really gets after it. Big, strong dude out there. But are they really providing the actual kind of defense that you need around Jokic? Because the thing that I keep seeing, Jeff Green, another one of them, the thing that I keep seeing is that they don't have these guys that can rotate down and protect the paint at all, right? They have these guys that can switch out on the perimeter, right? They can go pretty well against post-ups. They can switch up. They can switch down. But they can't really slot down and defend the rim. And to me, I think that's the key thing when I keep watching them is when people, you know, if Jokic is playing at the level and a player blows by him and somebody rotates down, whether it be Aaron Gordon or Jeff Green, sure, they can get a block once in a while because they're hyper-athletic and long. But they're not like they're not like Giannis at the four. They're not like Jaron Jackson at the four, like you said. And I think that's really the thing that they're missing. And I don't know if you agree with that, but collectively, I don't love their rim protection abilities. Well, I think they are missing that flat out, which to a degree puts a ceiling on the defense this season, I think. I think regardless of what structure they can come up with, what scheme they can come up with, um, how well Jokic fits in that scream, sc- scheme, how well the other players around him perform. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Like KCP, his ability to navigate screens um, is fantastic. Michael Porter Jr.'s size, I think, helps a little. But it, none of this, even Aaron Gordon down there, none of this really provides the rim protection or the size, the vertical presence in the paint that you're talking about. So what that means is when you look at the Nuggets statistically, you expect to see soft paint defensive numbers, either higher field goal percentage numbers or more volume in the paint and more free throws and things like that. I don't see any reason to think that will drastically change with the roster that they have, but that ceiling is still not like the 25th best defense in the league. That ceiling is probably more like the 7th or 10th best defense in the league in the regular season. I mean, think about the Bulls last year as a comparison, right? I mean, they have Vucevic in the middle, but 
when your guard defense is that good with Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball flying around and hounding people, you can make up for some of what you lose in the paint with both point of attack pressure. So you have fewer breakdowns up at the point of attack on the ball, but also horizontal speed and recovery. And I think one thing that's interesting about the Nuggets as they get to full strength, as they actualize, if you will, with Michael Porter Jr. coming back, with Jamal Murray getting healthy. I mean, this is a really fun game last night with these guys starting to click a little bit, is they're actually kind of big. And you might be saying like, well, wait a second, that's weird. You just said they don't have a lot of vertical size and rim protection. Well, they don't because Michael Porter Jr. is like 6'10", and he's not a great shot blocker, but he's long, and his size helps on switches around the basket. So he's rotating, you know, the difference between a 6'4 guy and a 6'10 guy rotating to that big man after Jokic hedges behind the play is a big deal. And he helps with rebounding. And then you go down the roster and you're like, well, wait a second. Jamal Murray himself is like a pretty big 6'3 plus dude at the point guard. The rest of the guys in this rotation all play big. KCP at 6'5, pretty big guard. Bruce Brown plays big at six. I mean, Bruce Brown's a center, right? He's he's playing six four, six four center. Um, I don't know how many playoff minutes he'll get because last night it looked like he got moved down the rotation a little bit. But Christian Brown, who we've I think talked about before, he's like six seven, six 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 seven, big. These guys can all switch. They're better at getting around screens. And the reason why he got booted down the rotation last night was Vlaco Vlaco Conchar. He's six eight. He's playing more minutes. The guys, you you know, you mentioned Jeff Green, 6'8", 6'9", Zeke Nagy, 6'8", 6'9". This is what's going to be out there on the playoff, in the playoffs around Jokic to some degree. And so I think the combination of recovery, length, kind of horizontal length, and guys like KCP, especially KCP, and even Murray, Bruce Brown, whatever, getting around screens up at the point of attack, depending on the opponent, to prevent fewer breakdowns at that point in the play, I think can give you a defense that might be capped because you don't have the rim protection that we just talked about, but it's still good enough to win with the offense you get on the other side. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So there's a couple of things here. Because you bring up the Bulls. First of all, I think that Alex Caruso, and especially Lonzo Ball when he was healthy... Really want to see him back. Lonzo Ball is such a good role player. But anyway, Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are leagues better than any wing defender on the Nuggets. Like, it's it's not even close. They're in a different stratosphere, right? And they even, you know, guys like Io DeSumo, I think he's a good defender when he was coming off the bench as well then. And along with those, I don't think they have the other weak defenders that the Nuggets have, right? Like, you talk about Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, he's big. He can slot down. But on the perimeter, I think he's kind of a mess. Like, he's not really good at uh, gathering his lower body. He can't really stay in front of guys. He's not good against smaller, quicker guys. Bones Highland, you know, maybe we'll get into it more, but he's a mess defensively in a lot of different ways. So if you say, have if you have a lineup with those three guys out there, that's three clear, I don't, I'm saying, you know, Highland, uh, who are the other two guys I just said? Jokic and, and Michael, Michael Porter, Porter Jr. Jr. Yeah. These are some guys that have some weaknesses, have some warts. And I think, you know, this popped up in the, the Christmas Day game between the Suns and the Nuggets. And there's this one point, I think it's in the fourth quarter, might have been overtime, not 100% sure. Chris Paul calls up Michael Porter Jr.'s guy to get the switch, right? So Chris Paul has Michael Porter Jr. on him. Then he calls up Jokic's guy for another ball screen. So you have these two guys that aren't necessarily great at navigating, playing high pick and roll. And Chris Paul is able to just kind of dance in there. I think he ends up missing the pull-up jumper, but he gets a really good look. I think who, there's too many weaknesses defensively on the perimeter for the Nuggets. Who was on, was was Bones Highland guarding Chris Paul on that play? I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, the only reason I ask is not about that play. It's just because I actually don't think in the playoffs you're going to get minutes from that combination. It'll just be interesting to see how many minutes Bones gets in the playoffs, period, specifically because of his defense and exactly what we're talking about. Like, they, they usually hedge 
with Bones Highland. It's the same coverage they often use on the pick and roll to protect Jokic, where Jokic is guarding the screener and he steps out momentarily slowing the ball down, shows himself in front of the ball, and then the Nuggets defense recovers. We've talked about this. Minnesota did this with Carl Anthony Towns last year. So we've got multiple videos uh, on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel where we've discussed this concept. They do this a lot with Jokic, but they also do it with someone like Bones Highland because he's just a mess at the point of attack. Like he's a little bit better finding out where to rotate to and you know position himself off ball behind the play. But on ball... He's got he's got massive issues. He doesn't set up well. He doesn't um, react or use his feet well. Um, he, he's very upright at times. He doesn't get around screens well. So I just don't think you'll see that combination with them in the postseason, especially if they're healthy and you got guys like Murray playing big minutes. I wouldn't be surprised to see Porter Jr. Now, I think his length helps, but given his injury history and his sort of specialization specialization as a shooter. Depending on the opponent, I could see him closer to like 30 minutes a game in the playoffs. And so you get more combinations where KCP is out there with Bruce Brown. KCP is out there with, um, I guess, if Jeff Green's playing well as another big body, right? But just some of the other bigger bodies that I just mentioned that are better defenders. And the thing about KCP and Bruce Brown, as I said, especially KCP, last night he was on one defensively. I mean, he, he can really get around screens, so when you play the hedge coverage, you don't unlock his ability to get around screens as much. When you say, okay, KCP, you just stay in the ball so we don't have to give up anything off the screen, then you can drop Jokic. Then you can play him in slightly different coverages. And against Miami last night, I don't remember if they zoned. I didn't see all four quarters of the game. Uh, I watched a good amount of it. But we've seen them sprinkle in some zones with Jokic where the length can help different curveball you can throw teams we know they like the hedge they also have like a high drop or Jokic up at the level where he can he can maybe keep the ball handler and handler in front of him a little bit as he's backpedaling or as it moves sideways but he can also high drop right he can also get up near the screen maybe a, a, a step or two below the screen and drop from there and when you do that guys like Brown and KCP can use their skills to to get around the screen, stay with the ball handler. You can switch the heat last night. An interesting thing is they ran a lot of staggers, a lot of double screen actions where, you know, um, you have two players involved. And so now Porter Jr., if he gets stuck on a screen, he can switch with KCP. He can switch with Bruce Brown. These are the combinations I'm thinking of that can help the Nuggets have successful defensive possessions in the playoffs against, you know, maybe not every single opponent they hit, but against a lot of opponents they're going to play against. I want to talk about Bones Highland again for a second. So you you think there's a chance that he starts getting fewer minutes maybe in the playoffs when, you know, when it's more matchup dependent, right? Abs- absolutely. I think he's at, he's at 21 minutes per game right now because you think of the old Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell thing with the Clippers, right? Like regular season, night to night, you're a really good offensive player that is leaky defensively. And if no one attacks that, if no one, as you go through three, four games a week, no one really, really exposes that, you can get away with the little stuff you give back defensively, especially when you come off the bench in a second unit. In the playoffs, the rotations are shortened. There's fewer minutes against second units. And if you're Bones Highland and you have these defensive problems, um, you know, you still might get run because of your offensive pop. He's a good passer and shooter, and he can, you know, he's 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 got some, as we like to say around here, he's got some offensive juice, and he's and he's really fun to watch. But I can absolutely see him kind of if the rotation tightens up, being on the edge of the rotation in the playoffs. Here's because my con- of the defense. Yeah. Here's my concern with that, though. So the last couple of years, we haven't really seen Jokic crest 35 minutes per game in the playoffs, right? He's it's not like he's going like these LeBron playoff minutes and playing like 46 minutes a game. So there's a chunk of time where Jokic is going to be on the bench in the playoffs. And this year, Bones has played a couple hundred minutes more uh, on the court when Jokic is off than Murray. And what's interesting is when you compare them, when you just look at the statistical profile of Bones without Jokic and Murray without Jokic, they're almost identical. Like, it's shocking. They're both about, like, 28 points per 75 possessions, maybe around 52, 54% true shooting, maybe a smidge below six assists per game. 
And I, I think that's super valuable and necessary for what the Nuggets have, because besides rim protection, I know we're talking about offense, but it all kind of bleeds together here. What they also don't have, Ben, they have a dearth of creation, a dearth of creation. Like they do not have a lot of guys that can set each other up for easy shots. Right. And you can see it like when when Jokic goes to the bench and say DeAndre Jordan's on the court. There was even a game. I think it was against one of their 15 Kings games in the last week. Like it was just Ish Smith, DeAndre Jordan, pick and roll. Ish Smith, DeAndre Jordan, pick and roll. Oh, another action. Ish Smith, DeAndre Jordan, pick and roll. Yeah, but you're not going to get these things in the playoffs. DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith are not going to be in the playoff rotation. What do you do when Jokic is on the bench? Well, I think Jamal Murray needs to be healthy. That's the other part of it. That's the offensive part of it. So if Jamal Murray is healthy and kind of fully operational and you have the quote-unquote actualized concept of the Nuggets out there, then you always have Jokic or Murray out on the court. And I think they had something like that in the bubble a couple of years ago. It's interesting you mentioned minutes per game. We, 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 we'll get to the offensive stuff in a little bit, but I said it coming out of Eurobasket right at the beginning of preseason, I watched three minutes of Nikola Jokic and I started I started texting you guys. I started texting everyone I know. He is in unbelievable shape. He is moving better than he's ever moved. And as I said, we'll get to that more in a second on the offensive side, but he played, what, 37 minutes a game in the bubble? I don't see any reason why when push comes to shove, he can't be in the high 30s. And now you're talking about the other 10, 12 minutes a game tops where he's on the bench, Murray would be out there for those 10 or 12 minutes. And then you're sprinkling in a little Aaron Gordon. You know, if you can, what they like to do is if they can find a mismatch with Gordon, he's a pretty good passer out of those situations. So I think that's how you do it, Cody. I think you kind of sustain, because when Jokic is out there, apparently you, me, and two Ducks could go play with him and we'd have a 115 offensive rating. Um, so so you're good in those minutes and then you just need to kind of not be absolutely destroyed when Jokic is off the floor. Um, and I think Murray is the... Murray, to me, is the only key to that, a healthy Jamal Murray. So do you believe in that? Like, do you do you see Jamal Murray getting to that point again that we saw from the bubble? I think it's possible. Yeah, because if you look at the timeline of his injury, and he, he's always been an interesting player, and you go back and like read about the training that he had with his dad and sort of like the psychological head games. It's like, as someone who was injured a lot when I played basketball all those decades ago, it's kind of hard to remember that far back in time. Um, it's psychologically challenging sometimes to go up and down, up and down, up and down, not have your rhythm. And in his case, you have this really long injury. You're coming back from the injury. And he's just kind of probably has to get to a place where everything clicks again. Clicks with his body, what his body and brain want to do. And you start to have a couple games. Like he's had a couple good games this week. And he's starting to look better to me in a material way than he did in the preseason. And so what he needs to do is get to like March and just be like, look, I'm Jamal Murray. I'm really good. If you, I can go for 50 in a night if I get going. I'm a, I'm a 40% three-point shooter or whatever it is. Like, he, Once he gets to that level, then I think it's there. Do I think it's guaranteed to happen? Of course not. Um, but I think it's in play. It's definitely in play for them, yeah. You remember that 360 layup in the bubble? Of course, yes. Oh, my of course. God. That was yes. just majestic. Just we majestic. could stop the show and do just the rest <laughs> of the hour on um, Bubble Jamal Murray, one of my favorite players ever. I'm what about the fadeaway three to put the game away against the Clippers. Yeah. Any, anyway, let's get back on track. Okay, so you also painted this picture. This is what started off when we went on this tangent here, when you kind of compared them to the way that the Bulls play defense, right? Um, I don't know. Look, the way you described the their abilities of their, their perimeter defenders, it makes a lot of sense. But when I see teams like the Suns, for instance, who want to get into that mid-range area, like let's assume that they face off against the healthy Suns, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, two guys that want to operate in the short mid-range. Even Mikhail Bridges likes to get in there and take that little mid-range jumper that seems to be a really big Achilles heel of Jokic, right? And, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, we played against Lillard a couple, or played against Lillard the last couple of weeks. Lillard was just getting right by him to the rim. Um, Chris Paul getting pretty much any mid-range look he wanted against him. I don't know. I think I feel a little less confident in that defensive scheme than you're talking about it right now. I don't know if you do. I mean, it's it's still it's still to be determined to me to see how they can survive against teams that 
have the pull-up three-point shooting guards and the guards that love to kind of smoke drop coverage in the mid-range who, you know, these guys can also pass as well. So that's the that's always the question. It's like, well, what if you weren't playing Steph Curry? <laughs> what, what, what would it look like? Uh, you know, and it's always unfair. They're like, they're like, that Rudy Gobert, he got cooked by Steph Curry. It's like, I never hear the sentence, that Kawhi Leonard, he got 360 cooked by that Steph Curry. You never hear that sentence, but he does it to everyone. So yeah, if they have to go through the Warriors, that's always going to be a thing. But I think Denver having different schemes that they can throw at you, having guards that can be better up at the point of attack so the guard can help the big man in some of those situations. And then we have to get to like, I mentioned we've seen we've seen zone, we've seen hedge, we've seen drop coverage, um, you know, we've seen high drops or, or catch hedges, things like that. What about pre-switching? What about fancier things that you get in a playoff series and depending on who you're matching up against, you can have something like the Celtics did with Rob Williams last year where you try to keep Jokic out of more ball screens. If you're playing one of these teams, it's like our offense for the next 50 possessions. I think in the in the Warriors series, right? It just felt like like 65 possessions in a row. They're like, Jokic ball screen, 40 feet away. <laughs> Here it comes. Oh, it's not Steph Curry this time. It's Jordan Poole. He's going to go for 30 as well or whatever. I, so I don't know if I'm I, – like I might be slightly more confident than you in how they can fare defensively against some teams. And I might be more slightly more confident in you in the concept of it actually working. Because remember, it only has to kind of tread water. That's all the Denver defense has to do is tread water because the offense is so good. And unless you have other things to say about the defense, maybe that's the perfect segue to get into why this, like, what is happening right now? Does it matter who plays with Nikola Jokic? Can you have the best offense in the league with him and anyone else out there? Well, I do want to say defensively, I like the idea of keeping Jokic by the rim because I think not that he's like a strong rim protector, but I do think he does interesting things near the rim. And I think the best defenses uh, for them is when he drops. And, you know, he has his really good hands. I've seen him disrupt like alley-oops to Vanderbilt. Um, he, just his hands in general and his body. He's such a big person that you can't just like fly through him for a layup. So I just, you know, keeping him as near the basket as possible. Like you said, pre-switching stuff, dropping him back more. But yeah. Maybe it doesn't matter because we're talking about the best offensive player ever. Do, do you think this is the best offensive player ever, Ben? Wait a second. I want to go back there for a second. Oh, okay. I, want to, I want to stall. Alley-oops to Vanderbilt. Have yeah. you been watching a lot of SEC basketball? But, <laughs> ben, I don't know the last time I had a college basketball game on. Um, so we can assume that we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jared Vanderbilt. You met Jared Vanderbilt. <laughs> okay. Okay. The GOAT right. role player in the NBA. Yes. The, the modern day Dennis Rodman. Come on. Come on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, do you think Jokic is the best offensive player ever? Uh, so so the first thing that needs to be said, we're, we're, we're going to go into this in, in more detail. And I think the first thing that needs to be said about this is if you, if you look at like career kind of career success or some sustained peak period or whatever, I'm going to want to see what it looks like in the playoffs, right? And we just don't have that sample yet. We have a little bit and he looks pretty good, but we we did not get to see Jokic last year have... It's like, okay, you know, you, you do what you can in a small sample, but you don't have 
enough guns out there. You're t- totally overwhelmed. So I want to see more in the postseason, and that includes this year. Hopefully it includes next year. Let me get another 20 or 30 games under my belt. Let me get it against better competition. But for the regular season, which is all we can talk about right now, for the regular season, if you look at scoring and playmaking, um, the combination and the way he does it and the well-roundedness, the mastery of the game, seeing the game a step ahead. And I want to get into a little bit more detail on why I think the offenses are consistently so good with him out there. But Cody, I will say, I will go die on this hill. He absolutely is in the conversation for the best regular season offensive player of all time. And I think you can actually make a pretty easy argument that he's the best regular season offensive player of all time. Now, who who's in the who's in the conversation? Maybe we should start with that. Who's in the conversation? 2016 Steph Curry might be the best single regular season on offense in NBA history if I had to pick. That that season was just like an outlier among outliers. It was nuts. But then you have your normal, you know, you have your like, well, 2000 Shaq, he was pretty good at basketball and pick your Michael Jordan season and 1987 Magic Johnson and maybe you want to throw in 1986 Larry Bird and uh, you know a Steve Nash year from 2005 to 2007 um who am I forgetting am I forgetting it like these these are the heavy hitters when it comes to crazy good offense even in offensive seasons I think you probably have to include a James Harden that's pretty close from one of his you know what 18 19 ish when he won the MVP in Houston so there's a handful of guys that come to mind and and the argument we could make for Jokic, which we'll make in a second, I think stands up against just about anyone. I like that differentiation between the regular season and playoffs because we don't quite have the indelible offensive moments from Jokic. Like I think back to, you know, the conference final series we did and the historical GOAT series we did during the summer. And, you know, I just have thoughts of of Michael Jordan just like ignoring the Suns defense just time and time again, just ignoring them and getting to the basket and setting people up. I think about, you know, I think it was 2018, LeBron just like acting like the Celtics aren't out there. Right. Just like, oh, you're going to do this. I'll just beat you with this. Oh, you're going to do this. I'm just going to beat you with that. Just that complete mastery where you're like, I don't think you can do anything about this. Like, there's literally not a defense you can throw. We're seeing that in the regular season, like you said. But, you know, the playoffs are a different story. Talking about the regular season, though, Ben, I was diving into some stuff about Jokic. I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I'm, I'm going to read some numbers to you, which, again, just our favorite thing to do on this show. Some some numbers. We can decide. We, if, we if, never read numbers. If yeah. this is a nothing burger, if this is a juicy, filled pub burger that's just filling every satiating desire that you have. Let's see. Let, let's talk about it, though. Is a nothing burger a plant-based burger? Because I like plant-based no, burgers. No, no, absolutely not. Nothing it's burger just, is nothing. It's just bun. It's just a bun with nothing in it. Does, does it even have the bun? Then how is it a burger if it doesn't have a bun? It's like air guitar. Like, there's no guitar, but there's air, so you're just strumming at nothing. So you're actually eating nothing? Is that how a nothing burger works? Maybe? You pick up, you mimic eating a sandwich? This is interesting. Do you need the buns for it to be a nothing burger? This is clearly more important than the other stuff we were we were discussing earlier. Um, all right, get what what kind of numbers do you have for us? Okay, again, everyone, calm down. I'm not saying this is definitive for anything, but it's 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 something. It's it's evidence in the excavation that we're doing here. If you look at on court team assists per 100 possessions, like the amount of assists a team has when a player is on the court. And then we also look at off-court team assists. So the number of assists a player ha- a team has when a player is off the court. Okay, so Jokic, his on-court team assist per 100 is just a shade under 33. Right, so they the Nuggets have 30, 33 33 assists per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Wow, Ben, I went back as far as play-by-play stats w- would have it, and I, I tossed in every player I could think of. Right, we're talking like peak Nash seasons. Peak LeBron seasons, peak Curry seasons, Harden, Trey, Ja, like at CP3, Westbrook, any of these. Only three times has a player had an on-court team assist per 100. It's Jokic twice this year and last season. And at, it's, at, at, at what level? The, you, I uh, don't think you mentioned the level. Above 30 assists per above 100. Above 30. Okay. Above 30. Only three times? Yep. Jokic did it twice, and Steph Curry in 2017 did it once. Here's the real kicker. If we look at the differential, the differential, 
right? The difference between the number of assists you have when you're on versus when you're off. Jokic. Actually, let's start with LeBron. LeBron in 2017 is the second highest I found. A 6.8 differential, right? Meaning, he's, Meaning his team had seven more assists per 100 when he's on the court. That's exactly it. So the thinking is that, um, you know, your ball movement, your kind of ability to create fractures in the defense and then get an assisted bucket because of that. You know, hockey assist, kick it around, gravity. It's it's captured here because when LeBron's on the court, very high assist numbers, seven fewer assists when he goes to the bench. That's that's the thinking. Exactly. That's the second highest I found. Seven assists. Okay, seven assists. Jokic in 21 was third. Again, just about seven assists. Jokic again was fourth. About six and a half assists. And then what we year have, was that? We what have, year was he fourth? Oh, 2021, 20, They're both in there. Okay. Then we have Nash seasons. We have LeBron. We have Curry. This is clearly a number that says something. Jokic right now, there's a, different, a differential of 11 assists per 100 possessions when Jokic is on versus when he's off. Wait, what? 11. So, so they're at 30, they're at like 33 assists per 100 as a team when he's on yep. and... 22 when he's off yeah that's exactly it yeah so i mean this gets back to the quintessential Jokic thing which is especially without a healthy jamal murray they they just have no one offensively to be able to really muster up anything um yet somehow when he's on the court with the same players and the combination of players largely doesn't matter with the exception of Aaron Gordon there's a lot of collinarity with Aaron Gordon's minutes this year they tend to come in and out of the game together so that juices these numbers a little bit or you can contextualize them that way a little bit but like it doesn't matter what other combinations of nuggets play if Jokic is out there they're the best offense in the league which in and of itself says something and then without him, they're the worst offense in the league or, or roughly the worst offense in the league. And, and that differential to me alone is kind of stunning. And it's, it's cool that you found that pass about that stat about passing, because I think in many ways, Jokic is the true model of heliocentrism, like the physical embodiment of it. He doesn't have the ball that much. He doesn't feel like the person who's like, everyone stand around me. And then I'll figure out whether I want to shoot or pass based on the defense. Instead, Jokic literally operates in the middle of the floor, often around the foul line area. And he'll pass the ball out to someone and then come back and set a screen, come back and get it. He'll run two-man handoff action with him, turn and pop or short roll or post or go back and reset and start over and run more handoff with someone else. And it's constantly happening in and around the middle of the floor cutters swirl around him and the entire Denver offense operates around him when he goes out Cody there that you know you if you got Domana Sabonis or somebody like you could you could have a you could run the same offense but for the most part it's like the old thing with Curry or even Nash there's just no one to replace it there's just no one who can simulate that style so now you take the same players who are cutting around, trying to shoot, cut back door, play play handoff game in the middle of the court, hit Jokic in the post, whatever. And it's like, okay, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, <laughs> KCP, um, Jeff Green. Yeah, go make go make good NBA offense. And it's like, there is no no combination or ingredients for those players to make. They, they don't, just so people are clear, they don't try to play the same offense. You can't. They go do more stuff that you would see other typical. They're like, okay, we're going to run some spread pick and roll. We're going to get into some pistol. We're going to do doesn't matter. They just don't have the offensive firepower. And yet with him, they're literally the best offense in the NBA. Jokic is on off right now. I believe would still set the record. It's plus 28 per 100. So they're 28 points per 100 better with him on the court than off the court. Most of that is from offense. In the video, as of the video we made um, recently, it was like plus 21 or 22 or something like that on offense. Before we get to some more of the staggering numbers, I think we should stick conceptually because people people have a hard time sort of accepting this. And here's the easiest way I can red pill you on this topic potentially. Jokic has an argument to be the best playmaker and best scorer in the league right now. That may may shock people, but this is a guy who is an elite, elite mid-range scorer, an elite post scorer, an elite put-back offensive rebound scorer, 
and he's still, you know, mid-high 30s when he's open from downtown or something like that. Hit a big clutch three in the game on pick and pop. And so, what? you know, okay, that sounds pretty good. Um, leads the league in in shooting from the mid-range at 60%. 60%, Cody, from the mid-range on seven mid-range shots every 75 possessions. Um, on drives near the top of the league on drives, 74% true shooting on drives because, you know, he just knows when to drive. He knows when to attack with the mismatch, fake handoff, spin, whatever. And so the totality is this is a dude averaging 27 points per 75 on true shooting percentage, 11% ahead of the league. That is, that is historically great. And my question to you is how many other players in league history have an argument for being the best playmaker and scorer in the league at the same time. I think people might challenge the scoring thing. I'm going to sidestep your question while I think about it for a second here. But, you know, people, if you're looking at your database here, Embiid is basically 36 plus 6. 36 points per 75 on plus 6% shooting. Kevin Durant crossed the 30 plus 10 threshold. Steph Curry is flirting when he was playing, flirting with the 30 plus 10 threshold. Like, I think the passing thing, I hope people are on board with that. I hope people aren't like, yeah, but have you seen Halliburton throw a skip pass? It's like, great, Halliburton's a good passer, but Jokic is on another level. I'm not sure if people would be completely on board with saying that Jokic is the best scorer in the league right now. So why why would you say, how could you make an argument about how Jokic is scoring versus the way that Embiid is scoring versus the way that Curry scores versus the way that Durant scores? Well, I'm a little confused by the framing okay. of the question because whether other people, I mean, other people don't even accept that he's one of the best passers ever, right? So I think I think the issue is when you can score on demand the way he can and your efficiency is that high... Why should I really care about the three points of volume that you're giving up? Because in his case, he's giving it up because he's making passes that get layups. And and I don't, you know, maybe we should segue back into the totality thing now, but the totality of why Jokic is so good on offense, seemingly regardless of who you put out there with him, as long as they're mobile bodies that are willing to cut, and as long as there's some modicum of shooting, that's basically all that's happening. You, that's why 3 and D guys seem to fit so well with him, which is really interesting. They have the three part, so they can hit open threes to stay on the court. And they're athletic enough to cut and move around. And so it's like, he doesn't have the scoring volume because he's passing and making better decisions. This came up earlier in the year when there was some criticism about him being passive offensively. It's like, last night, again, last night's game, he had 19 points. He took 15 shots. That's because in games where he, he has 12 or 13 assists and creates 20 opportunities for layups or threes for his teammates, or he has the ball in early offense and he's hitting it ahead in transition to try to find a layup. I don't even know if you get an assist sometimes. He had one pass last night where he, it was like a soccer play. He like looped it up in the air across court in the backcourt to KCP, who is streaking down the sideline like Kylian Mbappe, just on a fly route, right? And then someone for the Nuggets, it might have been, uh, sorry, for the Heat, it might have been Jimmy Butler, saw this high looping pass and was like, should I go try to steal that or defend this? And he takes a couple steps up and KCP slashes right through the middle. This is all happening at midcourt. Like slashes right through the middle of the defense, comes down, gets another screen and gets in for a layup. That's all he's trying to do on every possession. It, he's, there's no there's no need to try to score. But in the games where he goes to try to score, what do those games look like? Statistically, what do they look like? I'm just curious. Um, what what did he have the other night then? What what did he have? Do you have forty something twenty points? Um, I don't know which one you're talking about. You're talking about the forty point game against Sacramento where he was. 15 of 24 from the floor, the the 41 point game against Phoenix where he was 16 of 25 from the floor, the 40 point game against Charlotte where he was uh, 13 of 26 from the floor, the 43 point game against Washington where he was 17 of 20 from the floor. The, the, that's the thing. It's like when you actually watch it, he has a game against Oklahoma City earlier in the year around Thanksgiving, 39 points, 11 of 15 from the floor. When he goes into these modes where he says, well, I'm just going to score more. I just don't understand how you can't see him as one of the best scorers in the league. And the, and the separation statistically that you would try to create, what, what was, what was Embiid at statistically just his raw 
points and efficiency stats that you mentioned earlier uh 35 and a half points per 75 on plus six efficiency well that's a that's a lot of volume it's a 35 and a half it's a lot of volume. that's an obscene amount of volume um but like normally we're talking about the difference between 27 or 28 points and 32 or 33 points and when you look at statistical models the the ones we have up for subscribers patreon.com slash thinking basketball Jokic is second in the league in his scoring value because when you're plus 12 efficiency, that usually correlates to insane value because your shot selection's good, because the reason why you're not trying to score more in his case is that you're playmaking. And it's hard. We know it's hard to separate playmaking and scoring. We, we know that's a thing that, you know, you can't truly separate. So when we try to have these conversations, they're, they're, they're a little gimmicky, you know, like who's the best scorer, who's the best playmaker. They, they bleed together a little bit, but I would just say if you're if you're watching him play and you're watching the other guys and you don't think Jokic is in the conversation for best scorer in the league, then I I, I like I would actually l- try to make the argument. Maybe maybe play devil's advocate. How would you make the argument that he's not in the conversation for best scorer in the league? This is this is a nice this is a nice dramatic pause, Cody. <laughs> I think you could say here. Okay, let me let me try and make an argument for one other person. I think someone could try and say that Steph Curry can bust defenses more because he warps the court so effectively with his off-ball gravity that he's coming off a double stagger and then everyone is just going chaotic. There's a, there's a, there's a, I, I can't think of action names right now, but everyone's just running different direction and they send three defenders to Curry. They get curried. They get an open layup. He pulls up from 36 feet just for funsies and makes it. And that's a sixth straight three of that quarter. So I think like someone could say, yeah, but Jokic doesn't get on fire like Curry does. Yeah, he doesn't scare defense or bend a defense quite like Curry does. I think that might be an argument someone might like make. Right, right but um, again, I'm asking, uh, we, we're, we've gotten totally stuck and lost on this point because the issue is that you're, you don't want to say that he's not in the, in the conversation. As long as you acknowledge that he's he's a strong candidate to be the best scorer in the league. The point I'm making is how many other players have that claim in league history? How many other offensive players could say that? Let's think about that. Off the top of my head, you're thinking like... Uh, is this all a stall? Was this all yeah, a stall? Yeah, I, I got two okay. names. I finally got two names. I think okay. maybe like 2013 LeBron? LeBron could be one. I yeah. think like Oscar Robertson? Oscar the- Robertson was one for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Is that it? Well, then you have to start, you know, bending things a lot more or taking different perspectives than what we just talked about with Jokic versus uh, Durant, Embiid, and uh, Steph Curry. Because, like, can you make the argument that Steve Nash is the best scorer in the league? It's It feels tough. Mm-hmm. It, as good as he was as a scorer. Yeah. Okay. Magic is the same thing. Magic was a great scorer. Magic could tune up his scoring, just like what we talked about with Jokic. Magic was crazy efficient because he was either going to get a really great shot himself or get a better shot for his teammates. But man, Magic played with Michael Jordan. Magic played with peak Michael Jordan. So it's hard to it's hard to make that argument. Um, could you say late 90s Jordan? I don't think the playmaking... Or even like ninety two ish Jordan, like after Magic's oh, out of Magic's the league. Magic's gone. Yeah, Magic's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's an interesting thought. Um, you know, clearly wouldn't be the best passer in the league, but was there a more prolific playmaker at that point in time? I, I, I don't, I don't know. The point here is not to get stuck yeah. on this. The point here is to say, like, we are talking about a guy that is the best of the best, just world class in both categories. And these work together and his decision making is so unbelievable that he's going to get a good shot for himself or his teammates so often he's going to find the mismatch. He's going to say, you switched on to me. I'm backing you into the post. If you double team me, I'm making the perfect pass. Um, If you if you give up, you know, if you fall asleep for just a half second, I'm going to get a layup for one of my teammates over and over and over again. And again, whether you ha- whether you rank him second, fourth, first, sixth, it doesn't matter. The point is, I think he's very, very underrated in that area. And when you're that good as a playmaker and that prolific as a passer, it often understates your scoring, just like with Nash and Magic Johnson. And you, when you watch Jokic, 
you see these moments where you're just like, oh, now he's going to score. And then what happens is he scores a lot of points really effectively. And I think Zach Lowe on, on one of his recent pods was talking about this. It's really hard to find bad Jokic statistical games because of this. Like I'm, I'm looking at his games for, for the entire season. Cody, guess how many games Jokic has under league average true shooting percentage? How many games this year has Jokic shot under league average true shooting percentage? Okay. What, what, is, what is league <laughs> average versus shooting percentage right now? Uh, let's say off the top of my head, 56 percent it might be a touch higher but we'll just use 56 percent for this cutoff all right so he's played i think 32 ish 33 <laughs> games let's say he, he's been under league average like seven times yeah so he's played 32 games he's been under league average twice <laughs> <laughs> he had a game he had a game in december against memphis uh recently uh, where he was 52 percent and he had a game against the Jazz where he was 44% earlier in the year. The Memphis game, he had 13 assists. The Memphis game was the game that I profiled in the video where he had the top 10. Pa- I broke down the top 10 passes within that game. So he's playing a game where he only shoots 12 shots and completely dominates the game offensively with his passing. That's one of the times he was below <laughs> below league average in true shooting percentage and the other time was uh in october against the jazz and i think it's basically the only time all year he's just really had a bad sh- he was 3 for 10 and 0 for 4 from downtown and he only played 25 minutes in that game i can't remember why he only played 25 minutes in that game it might have been a blowout i don't know anyway the point is that's absolutely insane it's only a kick a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let, let me ask you something, because I think I think this is actually a really good definition of strong offensive player, strong score, or something like that. Because I can think of counterexamples, right? If you're a defense, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're a defensive coach, and you're getting ready to play against the Nuggets and Jokic, what is the weakest part of Jokic's offensive game? Like, what do you want Jokic to do on offense? If you're dictating the game, you're like, all right, we're going to make Jokic do this a lot. What is it that's actually his weakest part? Well, I want to say three-point shooting, but... Here's the thing, Cody. He's at 42% from downtown on wide open threes for the last three years. So if you make the mistake of saying, yeah, you know, his three balls a little iffy. It's come and gone. I've, I've, I've looked up the raw stats. I noticed that this year and last year, he's only at 34%. You watch him. He will. He, he likes to play around the elbow and free throw line area so much that he just won't worry about being behind the line and shooting threes. And so he'll go through long stretches where he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. And then, you know, maybe he goes over two in a game over three in a game. But I think if that was your strategy, if you were like, we're just, we're just going to let Jokic take open threes one, it might not be the best idea because of the actual numbers when he's open versus uh, late clock needs to force one, something like that. But two, he's still going to find a way to like, not always settle for the three. That's part of what's so good about him. He's basically had this thing dialed up to to max for a couple of years now, where it's like every possession, he just is like, oh, okay, I know how to get us a good shot. <laughs> just give me the ball. I know how to get us a good shot. So I, I, I genuinely don't know. That's part of what makes it so incredible. I think you need, I think the, the easiest hack is to have Draymond Green or Jaron Jackson or Evan Mobley, or Giannis, or whatever kind of crazy defensive player of the year level defender you could get, who's versatile enough to like not be overwhelmed by him in the post, but also not get blown by him on the perimeter, because he's in such great shape this year. He does use his speed against slower defenders and against defensive coverages where he can... It's so funny. He's like looks like he's moving in slow motion, and then it's like, wait, he... 
he beat everyone down the court. No one ever picked up the ball. And if you're not strong enough and you're too small, whoop, right to post up jail for you. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be a swish. It's going to be a swish. I want to get this on record, Ben. Your response to the spots you want Jokic to get to is to be defended by a defensive player of the year, unicorn defender caliber player. That, that's your response to that question. That is, but similarly, if we had if we had done this exercise in 1987, and you said, "How do you how do you stop Magic Johnson?" I would be like, "Let me get a time machine and go get Scottie Pippen, and then bring him back in time, and then put him on an elite defense, and maybe you could slow Magic down." How do you stop Michael Jordan? Well, do you get Dan Marley, or you know, <laughs> you get some Jordan stuff? No, you don't get any of those guys. It just doesn't happen. How do you stop Shaq? Maybe you get. Priest Lauderdale, maybe you get a really big center and put him. No, you just, you can't. Once you reach this level, and, and the thing that's so interesting about Jokic to me, and the reason I feel compelled to bring this up where other people seem to want to, you know, sort of be like, oh, he's already won two MVP. No, he's better this year than he's ever been. Part of that is his conditioning, I think. Part of that is the comfort and decision-making and all the reps he's gotten. Like, his passing may actually be better this year than it's ever been in his career, and he was al- already one of the greatest passers ever. But he's just, he's like toying with NBA players. Like, that's the level we're at. He's toying with NBA players. And so when when you think about how do you stop this, I say you can't really, because we're precisely because we're talking about mastery. We're talking about true mastery of the sport just like you said turn on any nuggets game and you'll see these passes and you'll see these plays and you just you start to get numb to it and if you just pretended it was any other player you would uh, you would eject yourself out of the chair and go did you see the pass this player made how did he do that yeah, I think that when I watch other centers running like a, you know, a DHO hub type of thing, and there's like a small window that if I slow down the game and I rewatch it 15 times, I'm like, well, why didn't they just throw a no look down there? Yeah, why their, didn't they their teammate yeah. would have had a layup, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I got Jokic brain right now. That, <laughs> yeah, I got Jokic brain. Jokic brain is when you're watching like another center at the elbow. And you literally go, all he had to do was head fake into the corner and then throw a no look out of his ear to the cutter coming baseline in the one foot window behind the man who's sitting on the low block. It would have been an easy layup. Why didn't he do that? (laughs) I got a sort of a hypothetical question I'm going to hit you with here. So you're building a team, right? You can't you can't pick somebody that's like a first team all NBA MVP caliber type of player. What's the sort of second like the scotty pippen type right like you you've scotty pippen next to michael jordan what's the ideal kind of teammate that you would want to have next to Jokic? do you want to because I, th- I think the heart of this though is do you want somebody that's going to try and cover his weaknesses and try and be like a a big that can rotate down or do you want an offensive player that can like like uh synchronize with his offense and build something even better you mean do you want like steph curry to to go crazy on the offensive side or i think did we talk about this did like we? a month or two ago the like the evan mobley archetype the, the all the guys we talked about mobley jaron whatever Giannis, even although the the offensive skill sets may not match but just like someone who can cover up his defense and play i, I think i would take the defense first okay i think i'd take the defense first because at this point i'm becoming more and more convinced that it doesn't matter who he plays with offensively. I want the Nuggets, as much as I like seeing Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray out there, I would love to see the Nuggets with like just four ridiculously good defensive players on the court where at least two of them can shoot. You know, you still have to have that 3 and D balance. Maybe you need three of them that can shoot. And then just be like, okay, cut and shoot. That's the offense. All the DHO, you know, everything, just that's it. That's the offense. We don't even play as much two-man game. We don't even need the Jamal Murray or Bones Highland to be kind of taking on some of that on-ball playmaking load anymore. Just just try. I just want to see it at this point. Let's just put them on the Bucks. You know, th- sure, this sounds like a bit bad, but if we had him there instead of Lopez, you surround him with Giannis, you have Drew Holiday, Javon Carter, let's say Pat Connaughton for the third guy. I like that. I, th- I think this is this is what could happen. What what happened to Jimmy Chris? Is he in the trade? He, Did we lose Chris Middleton? He, has, he hasn't played enough. And I was trying to go for somebody that's just like a, an all-out hustler type on defense. I mean, that's uh, how do we make that happen? We can we can manifest right now. Let, let's we can just philosophize about it. 
We can go fire up the old 2K machine. Maybe maybe if we like streamed it on Twitch right now and showed the world what they're missing, maybe that's the best way we can do it. Do it in the Matrix. Do you have anything else uh, to say on this topic? Like, like on one hand, maybe the Nuggets could never win because of Jokic's defense. On the other hand, he may be the best offensive player we've seen. I, I, I don't like the whole they cannot win because that's only true until it's not true, right? Like, as soon as the Nuggets win, like, that's no longer true. So it's, I think it's, it's circular and kind of silly to be like the Nuggets cannot win a championship with a Jokic-level defender. Well, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, do you think they can win a championship with you and me as their best player? Well, <laughs> I mean, pro- probably not. Okay. So wait, wait, not probably not. Come on. Not probably not. No, they can't. Okay. So I think that's what people are saying. I think people are saying there's a hard ceiling. Ben, ben I, but what are, no, no, no one is imagining this where you and I are Jokic's teammates. No, no, no. I'm saying the idea, the idea that they can't win until they do that i mean i think it's 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 undermining the proposal it's undermining what people are actually saying what people are actually saying is he creates a hard ceiling that is impenetrable so that doesn't prove them right the fact that he hasn't won you see what i'm saying but i mean it's the same argument that was used for dirk like you can't build a championship level defense around dirk until you could uh I, I don't know. Dirk was up to nothing in the finals in 2006. I think I think that pretty much punctured, like punted that argument into the into the sun. Um, that's you see what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. So you just, you just because, want to see more from the Nuggets first before? Because you, do you actually think that the Nuggets can't win a championship? Is that the way you're going, or are you saying that you actually give credence to people that make that argument? No, I think the Nuggets can win a championship, but I think it's a very real challenge to build build a defense that's good enough to offset the offense. And therefore, just like Dirk, you run into this problem of your championship team will likely look just good enough versus yeah. a dominant championship team, right? Okay. This, 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 this is something that we've done a lot of work on. Of course, we've talked about scaling um, and people say, well, it's come on. It's like, you're getting into super teams. You're getting into, why do we, why do I have to care how uh, Steph Curry plays with other all-stars? It's like, because that's how you win. And, and when you, when you can create, when you can create greater distance from the other team with the all-stars around, that's when you create dominance. Bill Russell Celtics, I guess Mike and Lakers, but that's even before the shot clock. But Bill Russell Celtics to me had this where Russell's defense was so good that the reason they won all those game sevens and he's undefeated and all that is because his margin of error was giant. So when the other team played up and made it close and the Celtics played down and made it close, the Celtics still had an edge over and over and over again. The Bulls with Jordan were able to generate a pretty dominant edge. Um, I would say the Warriors, this dynasty, was able to create uh, an edge like that. And a number of other teams as well. Some of the Duncan Spurs teams, some of the Shaq, Shaq Lakers teams, even Garnett's Celtics that first year where they were all healthy before Garnett's injury in 09. Like that team statistically was the best regular season team since Jordan's Bulls. And I felt like their their troubles at the beginning of the playoffs were a function of like, we're so much better than you, even when we're hiccuping all over ourselves as we start the playoff run for the first time, and you're trying to play up to us and play well, we still have a margin of error to work with. And the point is, is that Denver's margin of error is going to appear to be very small, I think, even if they succeed. That's that's the rub. So that's where I give it that's where I give it credence. I, I agree with that. Everything you said I agree with. I just I, I reject the absolutist they cannot win a championship with his defense. I think that's the sort of thing I want to get away from. I understand the like challenges part of it. And yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I reject that as well. Um, but it, it, it's, it's still a fascinating discussion. If you uh, want to support this show directly, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. If you want access to some of the stats that we cite during this show, we have a brand new uh, stats board up- updates with player stats, team stats. It's a lot of fun. We use it all the time. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's available in season updating daily for deluxe members. Otherwise, Hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, We are turning into a new year. So happy new year everywhere out there, wherever you're listening. And there are a ton 
of exciting teams and games and things happening that we're going to get to. So I don't know, maybe leave a, leave a comment on what you want us to kind of talk about next. We've got some Pelicans videos coming. There's a Shea Gilgis Alexander video that we're waiting to, to get out and publish. But I mean, Cody, you, you tell me you've been browsing around the league. Stuff is getting hot. Who are are we going to talk about? Who are you excited to talk about in the next few weeks? Listen, you know who my favorite player to watch right now is? Jamal Murray in the bubble. (laughs) Nick Claxton. I love Nick Claxton on the the Nets. I'm not trying to put together any kind of defensive teams right now, but every time I'm watching him, I'm like, this guy, this this is incredible. I like the Nets in general. I want to talk more about the Nets coming up. We, we will we will have to tease that. That's definitely going to be a topic of conversation at some point in January because as of right now, one of our one of our stats I had up on the board before we started recording was net rating for teams in the last month. And the Brooklyn Nets, Cody, have the best net rating of any team in the NBA in the last month. And part of that part of that is their defense. Part of that is their defense. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. Ben Simmons is looking good. I like that. I like that uh, defensive chemistry between the two. They're they're a fun watch. They're a fun watch. So we'll get to them in a lot more. Um, wherever you're listening from, hope you're having a very very happy new year, and of course that you are having a great day.